This is a Hog Sports Network podcast. You're listening to the Hogs Illustrated Sports Club podcast. Here's your host, Chip Souza of the Hog Sports Network. This is Chip Sizzle with Hog Sports Network. I'm here at the Hogs Illustrated Sports Club luncheon. We had a great luncheon today. Raymond House, former Razorback, was our guest speaker today. We also honored a couple of prep, outstanding prep uh, team and uh, player of the week. Our prep program of the week was Fort Smith Southside, and we spoke with Coach Kim Dameron before today's luncheon. I'm talking with Kim Dameron, the football coach at Fort Smith Southside. Coach, you guys, off to a great start. We're excited about it. It's um, it's nice being 2-0, and and we've uh, played two games uh, where offensively we've kind of exploded a little bit, and uh, defensively I, we've actually been, I think, a little better or maybe a little further down the road than I uh, thought we were, and so I'm excited about uh, the prospects going forward. Coach, your run game has been, you've mentioned explosive. You know, you had two backs over 100 yards last week. I think Gregory had four touchdowns. He was also involved a little bit in the passing game, too. Uh, what's it like to have that kind of two-headed thunder and lightning kind of thing in the backfield for you? Well, it's uh, it's very good. And really, it's three because uh, our quarterback, uh, Carter Zimmerman, also can run. Okay. Um, and so he um, is kind of that third back in the backfield as far as our run game is concerned. I mean, you know, we have. We've had two backs over 100 yards two weeks in a row, one over 200 two weeks in a row, and then uh, we've rushed for over 400 yards for, you know, two weeks in a row. So uh, all that being said, everything is – we're able to do that because of our offensive line. And, you know, that that obviously starts with, you know, Kobe Branham, uh, you know, Arkansas commit. Uh, He plays right guard for us. And uh, Cooper Anderson's our left tackle, and he's having a heck of a year so far. And and, – and uh, we've got another kid, uh, Connor McCoy, that plays uh, right guard for us, and, or excuse me, left guard for us. And uh, he's having a heck of a year so far. And so we're, we're excited about where, where we are offensive line-wise. Um, and so um, if we can stay healthy and uh, keep that bunch going, uh, it really bodes well for us uh, as far as those running backs are, are concerned. Good deal. Okay, it's Kim Dameron, the football coach at Fort Smith, Fort Smith Southside. They're off to a great 2-0 start. Coach, listen, uh, good luck the rest of the season. Thank you so much. You Appreciate bet. it. You bet. Talk with Bo Williams, the uh, Prep Rally Player of the Week. Bo, 45 carries, 400 yards. Did you – I mean – that's something you probably never think. You know, you never think you're going to get 400 <laughs> yards in a game or, or 45 carries in a game. Um, I wouldn't say the 400-yard part. Cause, you know, I, I do have a lot of faith in myself and in and, and this this group of linemen, man. They are killer, man. They're one of the best lines in the state. But, um, yeah, the 45 carries definitely was a surprise to me. The quarterback went out early in the game. I'm guessing that kind of changed the game plan a little bit and, sure. and put a little bit more – you know, we're going to have more emphasis on the run game. Yes, sir. I'm guessing that's what it was. Yeah, um, Coach Barner came up to me after after Cole got hurt, and he was like, hey, I'm going to need you to start, you know, hydrating a little bit better and, and sitting down in between plays and not using too much energy because, you know, we're about to feed you this thing. And, you know, so that we kind of gathered around, got the linemen in, and we were like, hey, guys, we're about to, we're about to run the rock the rest of this game. So um, the linemen were ready for it. I was ready for it. You know, everybody was. So, um, and that was kind of the result of it. You know, we talked a little bit in the luncheon today. You know, last year they came up here, you know, beat you guys pretty good. I'm guessing you guys had this game circled on your calendar for a while. Oh, for sure. You know, that loss last year was very embarrassing to us, having having Sam Pittman on the sideline, side um, all these news um, teams covering it, and, and, and thousands of people at the game. 
and getting beat the way we, we got beat was not ideal. Um, so, you know, all offseason that's been on our mind, you know, that in the, in, the, in the state game against Parkview. But it's been circled for sure for a very long time. I mean, every, every weight room session, every, every sprint, every seven-on-seven seven tournament, all, all the work has been, hey, let's beat Little Rock Christian September 1st. So, What's it like for you guys having Tucker Barnard back? You know, he's a guy that you were just, probably just a little guy when he was here before. <laughs> but having somebody who – knows the shallow culture has been you know was involved in a lot of success in the program um how important was that for you guys to get a, a, a quote-unquote shallow guy yeah um you know I'm, I'm really i'm really happy i get I, I get coach barnard for this one year you know i wish i had him for a couple more but um glad i could spend this year with him and, and i think you know he has that um rough nose like you know he's not afraid to get in it and and, and hit people and, and be fierce about it you know what I mean and so I feel like that that culture really fits our team this year you know um all these guys aren't really afraid of anybody and, and are, are not afraid to to hit so you know that kind of culture that he brought you know really helps good deal that is uh, Bo Williams the player of the week this week the prep rally player of the week Bo congratulations appreciate and good it. luck the rest yes, of the sir. season yes sir you I really you. appreciate it you know one of the things that I, I thought was interesting I I have every football media guide with the exception of one year going back to like 1992. And sometimes I wonder why do I have them? And then I, I think when I'm about to interview you, it helped because I was able to go find out a lot about you. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting as I was looking through your bio is that your dad went to Little Rock Central with Houston Nutt. Were they teammates there? Did they just know each other? I knew each other. We're familiar with each other. Okay. Um, and um, it was actually, it wasn't. High school, it was Little Rock Central High School. They actually went to junior high together okay. at the time, and, I, and they were teammates there uh, in junior high. So uh, knew of each other, but not necessarily super familiar. But um, when Coach Nutt coming to the house, he he had some memories and he had some stories to tell for sure. It seems like he's. He, tell me about him recruiting you because he was hired early December of 1997. You've got two and a half months, if that, until signing day. Uh, what were your thoughts on this guy coming in? Because I'm sure it was a bundle of energy. Yeah, well, he definitely changed the dynamic of how the recruiting process was going for me. Um, and and I, I was considered a late bloomer from a, um, from a high school development perspective and really didn't get much notoriety until about midway through, um, midway through my um, – uh, early midway through my senior year, it was actually a game playing against uh, Fort Smith Southside. It was actually one of the games that were that was reflected on a transitional for me. Uh, Southside, those were some of the glory, the, the big, the bigger, more successful years of Southside football, and we just so happened to uh, play an away game there, and uh, we didn't fare well as far as the scoreboard was concerned, but. Uh, I, I was fortunate enough to, you know, be able to have a, a pretty decent game individually. Uh, but uh, Coach Nutt definitely made it a, made a point to know that you were wanted uh, and that you, um, you know, he, he really was excited about. If he came to see you, he was excited about your news there for a reason. Um, and and it was pretty, it was pretty, um, you know, contrast from the previous uh, experience I had with recruiting. Mm -hmm. Uh, at the university at the time because um, you know, I went in and the previous head coach didn't know who my name was when I first met him. So uh, so that was definitely a, a different experience. He was definitely different ma difference making the things that he did from a recruiting perspective. So you chose Arkansas. Were there other teams that you were thinking about going? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, the final four uh, schools that I chose, um, it, was, it was Arkansas as well. Um, uh, Ole Miss uh, at, at the time um, was also in the mix. Um, uh, Oklahoma State was another school that I took in consideration. And then 
uh, Rice University uh, was actually, that was my mom's favorite school, um, Rice University. Uh, Ken Hatfield at the time was the head coach there. And mm. She really loved Ken, uh, and uh, he definitely made a, a positive impression on her. Um, it, it was a little far for her, too, though, so it all worked out. Chip mentioned this 98 documentary on the uh, football team, and uh, tomorrow night they're having a some sort of special screening of it. They're going to have a lot of former players back tomorrow. Uh, Houston Nuts in town. He's going to be inducted into the UA Hall of Honor uh, this weekend. Uh, there was a clip that was on social media, I think may have been put on there this morning, and it's uh, Bo Mattingly interviewing Houston. They're in the locker room, and he talks about this moment at the beginning of that season where he had everybody put their hand on a, a helmet and they dedicated the season to each other. And it, it, was, a, it was an awesome clip. I, I found myself watching this and for the minute and a half, minute 40, whatever it was the clip was, you're just kind of captivated by what he's saying. And, you know, Houston's so good about grabbing a room and, and grabbing your attention. What do you remember, though, about that moment? Yeah, it, it um, again, I kinda, it kind of goes back to the earlier point that I made about uh, the surrealness of the things that you're a part of and not realizing how epic of a moment it is when you're in that moment. But, uh, but individually, you know, we knew um, that – it was a it was a it was a shift, and there was going things were going to be different from that point moving forward, uh, because you, there was an, an outward showing of a commitment to each other uh, for the success of the team as a whole, and and it came away from again the things that were being pointed individually, um, and nobody in that moment wanted to let anyone else in that room down, um, and so uh, to be able to take that and and have that many. Uh, many of college age kids take that to heart and be able to commit to it. Um, you know, he, he was he was one of those ones where you, you knew no matter, you know, there's a lot of that can be said about strategy and, you know, and X's and O's, but there's something to be said about the commitment of those individual, those players to collectively as a team and being able to go out with a united front. And that's, I think he knew that that's what we needed uh, to have success. And that was definitely what, what the result was. You talk real fondly about playing for him. Uh, time has been really kind to him. I mean, the, his his tenure is remembered really well. Uh, that, that's got to feel pretty good for you and your teammates who played with him. And, and I, I got to feel like you guys are, are pretty ecstatic to see him get this Hall of Honor. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's it's well deserved and long overdue. Uh, the recognition that he's receiving uh, in the in the annals of in the annals of history for Razorback football, um, but. Um, I, but again, I, I think what him, it was a shift, and in, in I think that was a big part of the expectations around Razorback football changing as well, too, mm -hmm. when you think about that era. Uh, and, and that was not only outside, but inside as well, too, right? We, I mean, we expected to have winning seasons. We expected to go bowl games. We expected to compete in those higher-level games. We expected to, in those certain situations, like, you know, in the conversation when it comes to championships. And so that, that was definitely different than what things had been before at that point. There's a lot of talk about Little Rock this week. I mean, we were just talking about Little Rock Christian uh, playing Shiloh the other night. Uh, let's start with War Memorial because that's something that everybody wants to talk about. It's uh, You grew up down there. You, you, I'm, I'm sure you're pretty partial to those games. But uh, what are your thoughts on War Memorial and, and kind of what it has become, what it means, what the future is there? Well, um, lots of good memories, um, you know, uh, for me personally. When I think about playing in War Memorial, um, you know, Miracle Markham was my during my senior year. Uh, it was the last game I played, uh, regular season game I played that year as well too. So, uh, so uh, and so I'm partial from a historical perspective. 
Um, but um, I mean, there, there's a penchant, and there's kind of a sentiment that the atmosphere and the excitement that it, it, it used to create is not one that they have anymore. Um, and um, you know, and and I get these, uh, you know, the thoughts around, you know, Arkansas being, um, you know, the flagship university and being there for the entire state. Um, you know, and and I think there's some things that you can do to engage Central Arkansas. Um, without it specifically being a, a cyclical game, uh, to be able to appease the masses there and making sure that Arkansas still maintains its, you know, its level of influence and impact throughout the entire state. And you came from a, a Little Rock public school, and you look at Arkansas for for years when they were really good, they were getting players from Parkview and Central. I mean, those were kind of the backbones of their team. Uh, do, do you see? Is, is Little Rock still putting out the same number of recruits that they used to? Because they're, they're not coming from the public schools anymore. But then you look at, you got Walker White's committed to Auburn. He goes to Little Rock Christian. You've got CAC's quarterback is committed to play at Arkansas. Do you think maybe it's just the, the private school element has maybe reallocated where players are coming from? Well, I, I think that you look at a lot of different, um, you know, factors that's there. Um, you know, in the information age, the world is a lot smaller as well, too. And, and that, that's no, and sports is not, um, you know, immune to that as well. So a lot of different informa- pieces of information, a lot of access. You know, coaches from around the country, ha- you know, have readily made access to players and their information and what they look like and all those things from a recruiting perspective. So there's a lot. So with that being said, a lot more options, right? So you think about the recruiting landscape, high school to college, those are one of the things that you know what impacts it. But... Uh, but also, too, uh, you just think about the dynamics socioeconomically within the city of Little Rock, uh, and you do kind of have some flight from the city, and you have some uh, some movement to your neighboring schools, um, you know, and, and to because there's also the the opportunity as well, too. Right? And originally, you know, little, you know, Little Rock only having four or five public high schools, and you know, being able to have injected some opportunities there. Uh, with knowing that there's more increasing talent, so you'll see some exoduses to Jacksonville, to North Little Rock, to Bryant, most most notably when you think about a lot of those guys that are from the city that are there as well. Okay, now I think Raymond is the only person in here who's got his own IMDb page. <laughs> tell us, tell us about this. Yeah, I um, so um, I do um, uh, I I am heavily involved in uh, music and arts, drama specifically. Um, so I'm, I'm a member of St. James Baptist Church here um, in Fayetteville, and so uh, I, I lead and direct a drama ministry there. Uh, but also, uh, in part of that too, I do um, uh, do some acting as well too. Um, uh, and uh, I'm most recently, the role I played in uh, was this, was the role of a was the role of a, of a minister uh, in the in the movie that just released, uh, God's Country Song, that's currently streaming. On pure flicks, so uh, which is kind of ironic too. Being a son of a preacher, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty, you know, full circle to kind of be in a role like that and kind of be in those spaces. Just as an aside, you, you mentioned you go to St. James. I keep getting these emails from someone at BYU because they're coming here next week. D- did any of you go to the game in Provo last year? If if you went, uh, the in their uh, if you're in the visiting section, they give you ice cream in the middle of the game. It's like they're all about hospitality. And so they're also about hospitality when they go on the road. And one of the things that they are doing, they don't, they don't tailgate like most fan bases do. They actually, well, it, it's, it's really cool. They actually are bringing 40,000 pounds of food that they are donating to the St. James Food Bank. 
as well as they're bringing diapers, they're bringing all, all kinds of things that you can give back to the community. So uh, it's a really neat deal. That's just kind of as an aside that I thought as, as you said, St. James, you mentioned your music. Uh, is it, I've got written Third House, is that what you're known as? Yes, yeah, that's a, um, a, a creative hub that I've had for, for the better part of 15 years and because a lot of the things both musically and, um, and acting as well kind of roll within that as well too. Um, I've done some, um, you know, music production for individual artists, but in here most recently, uh, film scoring for um, uh, film scoring for uh, for small independent filmmakers in the, in the area as well too. So just a, another creative release that I have. You were brought up musically, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you, yeah. you came to college knowing how to play multiple instruments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew, you know, I mentioned earlier, being a son of a preacher, you, you're going to hang, spend a lot of time around the church. And so how do you occupy yourself? You had to figure that out. Uh, so um, being a part of church bands growing up, um, you know, that was a, a big influence to in me. So, and, and then now even with my kids, uh, my oldest is in the band and um, our middle child, uh, is in the orchestra too, so quite <laughs> several random instruments in and around our house right now too. So, so you mentioned Miracle on Markham. You played in an SEC championship game. It didn't go your way, but, but you still got to play in it. Uh, what are are those the games that stand out to you? What are your favorite memories as a Razorback? Yeah, I, I, yeah those are uh, definitely uh, great experiences. Um, um, I think about um, probably uh, Boise State, the second year we played them. I believe that was in the year 2000. That's when it stands out because that was the first game I actually played in. Okay. Uh, so uh, early a season open a non-conference game. Uh, and uh, But also, obviously, Miracle Markham, SEC Championship, um, seven overtimes in, uh, in Ole Miss. Uh, so that was, uh, at the time, longest game in, uh, in college history. So that was definitely a big one that stands out as well, too. So. Uh, two things that stood out to me from reading your bio in, in the media guide. You said if there was a stadium other than Fayetteville you couldn't play in, you'd love to play in Neyland Stadium at Tennessee. What, what was it about that place that stood out to you? It, it, was, it, it gave me feels of the Roman Coliseum we think about in ancient times. That's how um, it, it was just massive and um, that many, you know, largest crowd I ever played in, played in front of um, when I think about my career. Uh, and uh, I can remember, I can't remember who it was, but we um, we had a freshman that was there. I can't remember who it was. I wish I did. Um, you know, I, I remember there was a couple of them too that actually complained of headaches because they had never heard anything as loud as being in there. You know, you think about some some kids that come from they may not play mo in front of more than maybe a couple of hundred uh, people. You know, throughout their career, and they go from that to you know one hundred six thousand. It's a it's a, it's a it's a bit of a contrast in, in, in volume for sure. I don't know if you can take this as gospel truth, but Frank Broyles said that there was one game they played there one time. They played Rocky. He said he counted it. They played Rocky Top 35 times. In the absolutely. First absolutely. At least. At least. They, that was something they wore out. That's, that's part of their culture there for sure. Bobby Allen said something, too, about you. He said that you were a coach's dream. He was one of your position coaches at, at the U of A. Uh, what, what made you that way? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm first, I'm humbled by that. Coach Allen, it was definitely a good one. You know, being have him having as my position coach and also as a, as a coordinator was definitely a great experience. I, I think about just from an individual player perspective, um, um, I wanted to make sure that I, I did what I what I could and try to be. You know, it's it's funny because uh, um, I think about the lessons that my dad taught me, and then I try to impart with um, to my kids to you know be a good listener, 
make good choices, do your best, right? It's super simple, right? But just, just, just the general application of that, even as an adult, and then when I think about back then, just that's what I, that was kind of the approach I tried to take, is to, I just try to listen uh, and make the right choices in the moments that I had to make those, and then anything I was doing, do my best, you know? And, and it's, um, it's amazing. Um, you know, again, another something that's transferable from a work perspective too. just trying to be somebody that listens at work and be easy to work with and do the best that you can. Did you watch the game Saturday? I did. What, what were your thoughts? Um, I, um, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good game. You can't complain much about, um, you know, 40, 40, uh, 43 point win. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought they executed well, I, surprisingly more so offensively given, you know, you think about a team in transition, you know, the impacts of the transfer portal, uh, but also, you know, replacing an offensive and a defensive coordinator. A lot of new, a lot of change. And then, man, you know, that change management portion of it, I think, is something uh, that, um, you know, is overlooked from a coaching perspective because there's, that, that, that kind of sits outside of just the, the strategy and the X and O's and recruiting and getting the right players is how do we shift from what we were doing before to what we're doing now. And I thought from, from a game one perspective, uh, they did. They did well. Um, you know, you you'd like to see more dominance from a run game perspective, but I believe those are things that, as they again mature and and and, and gel more within those units, uh, to be able to do that. Um, you know, the, I uh, being biased, being a former lineman, um, you know, I, I think that season is going to be predicated by the the success in the phase is going to be predicated by. Um, how the offensive and defensive line imposes their will on, off- on opposing teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, um, you know, you think about having that protection for KJ and, and then being able to have some of your young playmakers be able to roam the back half, uh, knowing that, uh, you know, if you have an offensive lineman that can win one-on-ones, when you have a defensive lineman that can demand a double team, that changes how uh, the approach to the game is. Defensive line in particular, uh, they look big. I mean, they, this is the biggest group of defensive linemen I can remember in, in, in some time, maybe ever. Did, do you watch them closely? And if so, maybe give us your analysis of how they played. It's a, I, I thought Again, I thought uh, it's solid. Um, still looking. I still think that there's there needs to be an establishment of that uh, one or two handful of players, both either inside or outside, that forces the forces the hand of the offense to be able to change things because that's when you think about your championship teams at usually at each of those position groups you have at least one um you know a player that really changes how the other team makes the approach uh to what their strategy is going in and i think there's still some time left for though for that who that's going to be out of that unit to establish that, uh, whether it's you know some of your guys that are that are, that, are, that have been there, or some of your newcomers within from the transfer point, but you you can tell the talent and the and the and the ability is there, and you see flashes of it. But having that consistency, you know, throughout 60 minutes, uh, and and making sure that as you rotate, there's no drop off, and there's still that disruptiveness that you need on defense, especially up front, uh, is now I think is something that we'll be looking forward to for them to develop as the season goes on. Last one for you. Best player you played with, best player you played against. So, um, it, it's interesting there to put it because uh, the best players that probably, when I think about it, and, and this is coming within the resurgence of the SEC as well too, and really being on the first, you know, the precipice of them having dominance throughout uh, college football as a whole. I, I didn't play against much better players when I think about, I think directly being defensive lineman, thinking about playing against offensive linemen. 
I didn't play against much better players than the ones that I faced in practice every single day. Uh, when you think about me being a true freshman and, and lining up across from Brandon Burlesworth and then you had Bobby Williams and uh, you think about the later years, uh, Sean Andrews, Jason Peters, you, think, you know, Tony Hugo, you know, these are guys that, you know, that were all SEC caliber and there was no, there was, there was not a lot better than uh, than those guys in it. So that's, and, I, and that's funny because I've had that question asked before and it's like, I didn't, I never saw any guy, any guys better, you know, could, or, you know, better than any of those guys I faced against in week in and week out. And I think that internal competition was a big portion of why we had the success within those years too. Raymond, we appreciate you coming. Thank you for having me. Give, appreciate give it. Give Raymond a hand. All right. Thank you. So that wraps up this edition of the Hogs Illustrated Sports Club podcast. And we'll be back next week in which Fitz Hill, the former Arkansas Razorback coach, will be the guest speaker. And uh, he should bring a good, a good message next week. So until next time, this is Chip Susan for the Hogs Sports Network. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. The proceeding has been a production of the Hogs Sports Network. Look for our daily podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. For more Razorbacks coverage, go to wholehogsports.com or follow the Hog Sports Network reporters on social media.